All Earth Council, in its infinite wisdom, has decided these two numbers are to be disposed of. The Biochemical Forum has demands to make on their parts, however, before they are eliminated. That's the kind of efficiency that makes you proud to live in this era. How many guards on each level? You want to help your life turn that part of your mind off. This series, compared to 38. How many guards on each level? You have asked, are we happy? Are we happy and effective? Consultation with leading experts in the field makes it perfectly clear, perfectly clear, that we are all now programmed for perfect happiness, perfect happiness, perfect happiness. Never more than 12. What's wrong? First of all, first of all, folks, a warning. If you haven't watched Andor episode 10 yet, just stop listening. Stop listening right now. If this is in the future, we sound crazy, but this is coming out the day that Andor episode 10 comes out. So if you're listening to this like in the morning or something, stop, 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 stop. That's just a general rule of thumb. If you're going to watch a new episode of Andor 2, take a second, drink some water, take a breath, stretch. Because your body might explode. Stick your head out the window and breathe in some fresh air. It's like the guy when they went to Narkina 5, like, deep breaths, brother. Yeah. Last fresh air you'll ever have. Yeah. Like, you need that fresh air after watching any episode of Andor, especially this one, the 10th episode of Andor. We're going to be talking all about this episode, and later we're going to be talking all about how accidentally George Lucas and THX it all is and the triumph of the episode that is Andor episode 10 well and we're not just talking about episode 10 we're talking about this entire incredible prison arc this mini Andor Star Wars movie about Andor in prison the beginning the middle the end Andor episode 10 is my favorite episode of the entire series so far, this whole Narkina 5 prison arc, I, I mean, I loved the whole Aldani heist. I loved the whole opening 
with Andor and the flashbacks to him being a child. It's, it's, you know, we say it every week with Andor, but this show keeps getting better and better and better. And what this episode, the 10th episode, kind of capping off this arc is, I don't know, I just, I love it. So it's, we're going to be talking about it so much in depth here. This this is the high point for me right now. I don't know how it can go to 11 and 12 after this, because this is like the height. Well, literally the only way they can get better from episode 10 is to take it to 11 and turn it up to 11. And next week they will with episode 11. 11, oh, 11, and most of 11. The and then amps go up to 10. Exactly. Does that mean it's louder? Is it any louder? Well, it's one louder, isn't it? It's not 10. You see, most most blokes, you know, be playing at 10. You're on 10 here, all the way up, all the way up, yeah. all the way up. You're on 10 on your guitar. Where mm. can you go from there? Where? I don't know. Nowhere, exactly. What we do is if we need that extra push over the cliff, you know what we do? Uh, put it up to 11. 11, exactly. One louder. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to 11. But, yeah, I mean, think about it. At this point, we've had three Andor movies, really. We've had three Andor movies with one little episode treat in there to kind of tie things together. And, yeah, just like with these three-story arcs, episode one builds into episode two, builds into a ridiculous, over-the-top explosion of tension. Episode three, the first Andor mini movie built into the more intense, more exciting second Aldani Andor mini movie, and now building up to the even more exciting, more intense third Andor mini movie. Yeah, like we've been saying all along, it's like a little snowball that just keeps rolling and getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And it crashed into our faces this morning and knocked us unconscious with a huge ball of icy snow. That was uh, Andor episode 10. I have ice chunks in my teeth. <laughs> Watching this episode for the first time, I, like, I just about had an out-of-body experience because like the whole show is so tense, always. Every episode is tense, 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 and like tension. Like, oh my God, what's going to happen? This episode, even though you know Cassian's getting out, you know Melshi is getting out, the big, like, how is this going to happen? And how many of these... Narkina five prison people are going to get killed in this. And just how the heck do you get out? And, you know, everyone always calls this show, it's a slow burn, it's a slow burn. But it's like, the slow burn is now a fire. And you've been watching this little fire being like, oh man, pretty soon that's going to be a big fire and this whole place is going to burn down. And now it's like burning down. Cassian Andor is becoming the leader that we saw in Rogue One. He's becoming Captain Cassian Andor. He's getting that fiery spit of hope. He's getting the rebel leader that we know he's going to. It's starting in this episode. It really started in nine. It's in this episode. Seeing him take charge. Him saying he would rather die trying to take them out than die giving them what they want. Like, right away, this episode is all business. And I love how Kino, the next morning, is, like, ready to go, ready to do it. And I love their thing, like, let's make it look good. <laughs> well, before that, when when Andor says that line, I, I love that they're the last little bit of 
Kino kind of like working through what's about to happen. And they kind of get in this like almost like shoving match, but they're like just not using their arms or just like bumping into each other like seals or something. Like it's just a weird little moment of them like just getting this last little bit of of uh, un, un apprehension out of them. And then at that point, and, and they do the great thing with the framing where it's like, you know, Kino's kind of been running the show so long, but then after they kind of like bump into each other, now Andor's kind of become the one kind of driving things. And now he's standing by the door, you know, get in program and telling Kino what to do in a way. Like, even though Kino is going to be very important to the escape, it's kind of like Andor's finally found his voice and taking charge and making things happen. Andor's still filing away at that pipe and the refresher and then the water starts spraying everywhere and then people are on program with like with tools hidden and I love there's that moment where the water is coming in and they got the new guy coming in on the elevator and it's like if I feel like it lasts like almost like an entire minute of everyone just waiting and there's that pulsing like alarm going on in the background it is it is so genius because that is the moment where you the viewer your tension is just out of control because you're just waiting for the first thing to happen which you know it's going to happen it's just it's oh my god uh yeah it's like uh you just heat you just heated up some coffee in the microwave and the microwave's beeping and you know man when that beeping stops I'm going to have some hot coffee <laughs> and things, things are going to get, going to get intense. And then Kino yells attack and everyone starts throwing everything. And then they realize that the floors don't work anymore, that they can't turn on the floors and control everyone anymore. And that the water dripping from the floor they're on onto the other floors and the other people doing their teams are like looking up like, Oh, uh, what's going on? And just the whole thing of the prisoners from the level with Kino and Cassian going floor by floor and kind of telling everyone like, hey, we're getting out. Come on, everybody. I'm lowering the elevator. Let's go. I love the fact that they made the prison break kind of so ugly. Like it's a pretty, it's a brutal prison break because it's like, it's not even in a way like so Hollywood where they're, you know, eventually they get guns, but like, a lot of it's, you know, yeah, they're like throwing wrenches and stuff. Like it's completely just whatever it takes to survive and get out, they're going to do. This is like the Aldani heist, but on like another level. It's like the Aldani heist, but it's like more personal. It's this whole like pattern that the Andor series has been going on with this incredibly incredible tense buildup to this explosion in the third part of these arcs. And every explosion has gotten more and more intense along the way. And this whole, you know, with them just throwing stuff, going up the stairs, rallying everyone. And then finally, the moment where they go into that room where in the credits, it's called the voice of God. And they go into that room and it's such like a Wizard of Oz moment, too, because we realize that this voice of God is just a little frightened imperial guy. They didn't, like, cast, like, some big booming actor or something. It's just a normal person who's scared when Cassian and Kino come in there with blasters. Yeah, and it's, you know, still the whole idea of these. The worst of the Imperials are not Admiral Ularin or, or you know, the big shots. It's, like, just these average people who are doing these horrible things to people and 
and now they're, you know, at the end here, they're realizing that, uh oh, this maybe this wasn't a good idea <laughs> to be doing this. Well, it's like you've said before, it's the true evil of the empire in making that kind of behavior normal, making that just what you do for a job, making good people do horrible things in the in the excuse of just this is just the way it is. And there's no morals in the equation at all. And I love when Kino, of course, gets on the mic and it's Cassian telling him, like, tell them what to do. It has to be you. You do this every day. And he says it again, tell them what to do. And Kino's first time up at the mic, it's kind of basic. And then Cassian's dynamite, is that the best you've got? <laughs> yeah, Cassian is yeah basically finding his his voice i guess you could say and his his uh confidence that you know he he can make these things happen that's something he can do and even if he's not the one doing it he can help the person who can do it and he can motivate the person to do it he can motivate people to do what what they need to do but think about like the rebel alliance in general what the rebel alliance stands for it's a symbol of hope and it's supposed to inspire others to fight against this incredible, massive, all-encompassing thing, the empire. And if enough people rise up in this symbol of hope and be inspired by what they like, what we saw with the Aldani heist, and what we see Cassian and Kino doing with the Narkina Five breakout, Cassian is coming into his Rebel Alliance self, where he inspires others. I mean, look at Rogue One, what happened in Rogue One with Jin. Rebellions are built on hope. He says that to Jin. And then Jin is the one that repeats it to the council that eventually inspires Radis to go fly to Scarif, and they're just like, screw it, we're attacking it, we're going, we're going to Scarif, we're going to take this thing down. And that's the process that ends up blowing up the Death Star. It's this whole thing of inspiring people to do things they didn't know that they could normally do or things maybe they were afraid to take that next step on. Yeah, it's just great to finally see Cassian moving into that after we've watched this the whole show where we're just like, come on, dude, you're almost there. Yeah, and it's almost with Cassian too. Like he's kind of showing the the importance of the person who inspires the person who gets the credit in some ways is, is just as important as, you know, the, the face of the revolution or the face of what happens. Like, you know, he was just one of the crew on Aldani, but it wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for him. Kino's kind of the face and the voice of this prison revolt, but it wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for Cassian. And it's almost like, you know, he's the, the person's conscience on their shoulder and it's like, he's the, he's the one pushing them to do what they need to do, even if he doesn't get the credit and how that's just as important as being the, being the face of something is having those people that point you in the right direction. Well, and even for, even for Cassian too, you think of uh, Nemec and his manifesto, does Cassian even still have it? But planting the seeds in his mind of rebellion. And then you think of when Cassian goes on in his life, where wherever we'll see him in the next two episodes and in season two, what kind of influence in the bravery that Kino showed is going to influence Cassian? It's all these people 
they're having these massive effects on his character and who he is. And without this, Rogue One could never happen. And I love that, too. Like, this story is happening, and it's so intense. And then along the side of it, we have Mon Mothma meeting with the the sleaziest thug sleazebag of the universe, Davos, showing up with his sleazy sideburns. Saying he's just like, yeah, I'll give you the money, Mon Mothma, but you got to marry your daughter off to my son. Yeah, it's this show, uh, man, just keeping keeping the tension and putting people in the worst situations. It's like, what is the worst place Mon Mothma could be? And it's anything to do with her family and her daughter and the idea of we've seen so much how miserable she is in her relationship with her horrible husband. And now she's faced with the decision of potentially condemning her daughter to the life that she has. And man, this show, again, it seems like Mothma won't do it because she wants to, you know, take the high ground. She wants to be the better person. But I don't know. (laughs) I don't know if she's going to be able to not do it. Mothma immediately rejects the idea, I think, because of her family, but also. It's showing how Mothma will lead the Rebel Alliance and the New Republic eventually, where they don't deal with bounty hunters. They don't deal with thugs. They don't take the easy way to get what they want. The Rebel Alliance is going to act with morals and integrity and not take the the fast and easy path. And I think that I love Genevieve O'Reilly's performance in that, where after she tells Tay, like, get out, get out, get out with with Davos, it's like Genevieve O'Reilly is, like, shaking. She's so upset that it you can just see it just, like, physically affecting her body. And I, I love that because it shows how serious Mon Mothma is taking this. Like, you compare it to episode nine last week, where Vel was talking to her, and Vel was just basically, like... You know, you took an oath. Why aren't you doing more? What are you doing, basically? We're out there in the mud, eating dirt, risking our lives, trying to steal money from the Empire. What are you doing? And I think, yeah, just like Cassian, it's starting to become real for Mon Mothma. Like, what am I doing? And how am I going to do it? It's a good point that, you know, the show wants to leave things hanging and, and, and give us the impression that she might give in. But it does make a good contrast to the end of the episode and kind of finding out really the truth about who Luthen is. I think the show is kind of showing us the contrast between, because, you know, the show starts with the, with the kind of uneasy alliance between Luthen and Mon Mothma. And as the series has gone on now, we're kind of seeing the, the contrast in their approaches and that, yeah, maybe Mon Mothma is a leader who leads through, through hope and through visibility where Luthen is equally committed to the cause. But if we get, we'll get into it. He even says, you know, he's using the tools of his enemy and that he is, there's no hope in him. There is no inspiration in him. He is just about the mission at whatever the cost. That contrast between those two characters is is maybe never more apparent than it was by the end of this episode, that it's the same rebel group, it's the same cause, but it's two completely opposite approaches of how to meet that goal. Because we find out that the ISB mustache man, whose name is Lonnie, great name, 
he's going down to lower level Coruscant to meet up with Luthen, which I love his little trip through lower level Attack of the Clones kind of looking Coruscant with wacky aliens all over the place. And Luthen's like congratulating him on the birth of his new daughter. And uh, Lonnie informs him that Dedra is after Luthen. And Luthen's just like, she's wasting time. And they had to sacrifice uh, Robbie Krieger's team to keep the secret safe. And Lonnie kind of wants out. And Luthen's like, there's there's no way getting out. You're going nowhere. And yeah, what well, Luthen is just kind of like, I've sacrificed everything. He says, calm, kindness, kinship, love. I share my dreams with ghosts. <laughs> and he's yeah, basically saying there's once you're in the Rebel Alliance, there is no way out either you're in or you're not in you can't be halfway in the rebel alliance and that's kind of the note that this episode ends on you contrast that too with the amazing just amazing scene when they finally get to the top of narkina 5 and cassian is talking to kino like come on let's go and kino has this brilliant i can't swim and before Cassian can even react, he's like basically pushed out and into the water, which is just amazing symbolism, too, of the tide of Cassian's future. It's whether he wants to stop right now and kind of talk to these people like Nemec or like Kino that have inspired him along the way. The future is moving Cassian and he can't stop. It's pushing him to his destiny and like going into the water and the water being like rebirth. It's all right there. And also I love at the end of every arc of Andor, it's again, it's Cassian ascending at the end of the first arc. He was going in the ship, both as a child and with Luthen at the end of the second arc, he was stealing the freighter on Aldani and now ascending up to the top of the Narkina five prison every arc ends with him going up with climbing with going up to his destiny and finally the end of this arc the prison arc is him really just being reborn basically in that water coming out on the beach with melshi as new people yeah he's one step two steps maybe three steps at this point closer to being the kazian andor of rogue one he's now yeah he's changed the show is so good. How is it allowed to even be this good? Yeah, it's so good. And you know what? It, I got I to gotta talk about too because this show is so good. It's so intense. It's so serious. It's so dramatic. But this episode also had one of the most outrageously ridiculous things yet. Everyone was joking about Andy Serkis being back and is Kino Snoke and all that fun. And then this episode goes so far as to have – Kino giving the speech through the voice of God, which literally turns Andy Serkis's voice into the Snoke voice. And he's literally giving a speech to the prisoners in the actual Snoke voice from the sequel movies. And I couldn't stop laughing, thinking about it afterwards, because all I could think about was the scene in Airplane when the kid's like asking Kareem Abdul-Jabbar if he's Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and he's like no I'm just a pilot and then later on in the movie they drag him out of the cockpit and he's wearing his basketball clothes it's like literally that with with the Snoke voice I couldn't stop laughing all right but just remember my name is Roger Murdoch I'm an airline pilot 
I think you're the greatest, but my dad says you don't work hard enough on defense. And he says that lots of times you don't even run down court. And that you don't really try, except during the playoffs. The hell I don't. Listen, kid. I've been hearing that crap ever since I was at UCLA. I'm out there busting my buns every night. Tell your old man to drag Walton and Lanier up and down the court for 48 minutes. The show, yeah, it has it all. It's completely serious and also completely ridiculous. So I love it so much. Episode 11 is going to start. And whatever Imperial people, come, like when they come out of their little hiding spots, they're going to find Kino still standing there. And he's just somehow going to be wearing a gold robe. Yeah. yeah. He's like, he, go, he goes and finds his shoes that they stole when uh, they brought him to the prison. And he's just got little gold slippers. Puts on the gold slippers and a gold robe and a big ruby ring. But yeah, if you can't, if you haven't figured it out, Andor's pretty incredible. Cool na Hanlangun no jiouhou shoukou, Cassian. If you're really doing this, I want to help. I've been recruiting for the rebellion. Spies, assassins, saboteurs. Be with me. All the way. May the force be with us. Make ten men feel like a hundred. Rogue One, Star Wars story. Okay, so let's get into the second part of this episode. It's been going around a lot that, of course, this whole Narkina 5 prison arc, it shares a lot of visual stuff with one of our favorite things in the world, George Lucas's incredible 1971 first film, TH- THX 1138. It's all over the place. But we have found that the comparisons go beyond the obvious visual stuff, that it goes Deeper than that, which is funny because we recently had the wonderful opportunity to talk to the writer of the prison arc here, Bo Williamon, and we got the opportunity to ask him if that was like a real thing, right? That they did they really take influence from THX one three eight? Yeah, and he said initially no, that it, it wasn't even. A thought, but that, you know, as things go on and production design comes in, that maybe there was some kind of sub subconscious movement towards that, but that at least from the from the onset, it wasn't intentional to have so many similarities and and thematic tie in. But it's it's the magic of George Lucas. You watch his movies and they creep into your subconscious and you can't escape them. Well, and it's even the same thing with like the, the 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 Star Wars movies that the themes in the Star Wars movies are subtle and yet so broad. You know, it's a thing where you ask twenty different people, like, you know, what does the ending of Return of the Jedi mean? Like, what's the deeper meaning in that? Or what is the fall of Anakin Skywalker? What's the meaning of that? And you'll get. 20 different reactions on what they think it means. And something like THX 138 was so ahead of its time and so kind of 
broad in its meaning that now anything that kind of is about an oppressive society and where it's kind of a stark white atmosphere, the THX 1 and 3.8 comparisons come in. I mean, you see it with like severance. It's just, it's everywhere. But what's funny is Bo said the night before that we talked to him on this roundtable thing that he watched THX 138. And when he watched it just the night before, he was like, oh, geez, yeah, there's a lot in there. <laughs> well, and I think, yeah, that's what's so so great uh, about this. And yeah, and like how even when, you know, things maybe aren't intentional, that there's either subconscious things or just, you know, when you get a bunch of people working on something creatively, they all kind of bring their own tastes and, and influences and and sometimes things take on a life of their own but like you know other than the visual similarities like the whole idea in thx of you know everybody's basically working on stuff they don't care about to make money to buy stuff that means nothing just to have a reason to get up in the morning and a reason to to go do something with their day and and just how that's kind of what the empire was doing here is they just they had this artificial structure to keep the people working and keeping them on task and you know for all we know the the parts they're building really weren't for anything and it was just to keep them busy and you know and maybe they would take them apart and give the parts back down to the floor, floor below them for them to just keep putting them back together that roundtable conversation with Bo Williamson is uh, it's, it's a it's either depending on when you listen to this it's it's available to listen to now or if you're it'll be available later but take a look for it it's going to be in our regular podcast feed so it wasn't intentional originally when they were creating this arc but yeah like you were saying the similarities are everywhere and it makes me think of there's a George Lucas quote from an interview he did with Bill Bradley on Sirius XM in 2012. I'm on the side that says you should treat people decently and that, yeah, you can argue about whatever you want to argue about, but we're all in this boat together. Everybody's in it together and we're going to all sink or swim together. And we haven't been doing a very good job over the last 10,000 years. All of my movies are about one thing, which is the fact that the only prison you're in is the prison of your mind. And if you decide to open the door and get out, you can. There's nothing stopping you. That quote, you can definitely apply that quote to what is going on with Cassie Nandor in this series. It is the prison of his mind. He is in the Narkina 5 prison doing this mindless work. But when he goes in, like in that first episode, he's completely freaked out because he's in a crisis and he knows he has to break out of the prison of his mind. It's like Chirrut's line in Rogue One where he says there is more than one sort of prison. I sense you carry yours wherever you go. That line, after watching the Narkina 5 arc, is just like, oh my God, because yeah, Cassian, the only thing holding Cassian back is himself. And that's, you know, that's probably true with so many people, too, that so many people are in the prison of their own minds. And there is nothing stopping you from breaking out. And you think of what George Lucas is saying, that that's about all of his movies. Think of Luke Skywalker in A New Hope. You know, I can't go with you to Alderaan. I've got work to do. Think of Han Solo. Think of Anakin Skywalker. People that are telling themselves they have to do something. But it's not what they really have to do. 
Well, and it's also, you know, the prison's a good example, too, of it's that prison of the mind that keeps people from changing their situation. And it's kept the, it allowed, you know, no more than 12 guards on each floor to keep thousands of prisoners in line because the prisoners, as much as they were trapped in this prison, they're trapped in the prison of their mind where they think there's no alternative and that they're not thinking about the fact that there's more of them than there are of the guards in the empire. And that if they make the choice to try to change their situation, they have a good chance of succeeding because the only thing keeping them down is their own inability to see that there is a choice that they could make and that they aren't as repressed as they think they are. Because there's a quote in the George Lucas uh, commentary for THX 138 also where he's talking about this same kind of thing. And it's in the scene where THX is in a prison, the void prison, where there's the police guards with the the zap rods, the pain sticks, very similar, where THX is in this prison that has no walls and it's chaotic in there and they think they can't get out because you're just in a prison and you can't get out. And then when the hologram guy comes in and shows them that this prison actually has no walls, you can just walk right out anytime you want. It's kind of this revelation. And George Lucas's quote in the commentary is really good. It was meant to be a more philosophical exercise, abstract philosophical exercise about being put in a prison, finding yourself in a prison, asking philosophical questions. You know, why am I here? How did I get here? What am I doing here? What is my place in the universe? And then saying, I'm going to walk out of this prison. I'm going to go into the unknown. I'm going to explore the unknown, which is basically what philosophy is. It asks the hard questions of, you know, what are we doing here? And that's basically what THX is going through in this. Finally, he just gets fed up with all the, the mindless jabber because there's nothing in here that's being said that actually makes much sense. And you'll notice also that one of the issues here is that the robots are essentially uh, benign characters. And apart from poking and annoying people, they don't do much. They aren't really a threat. In this sequence, we find out later that you can just knock one over and squash its face in it. They aren't really dangerous at all. But everybody thinks they are. A lot of the reality in this movie is based on belief systems and the fact that if you believe something to be true, then it is. So if you believe you're in prison, you are. If you believe that's a police officer that's dangerous and strong and can beat you up, then he is. But the reality is just the opposite. It, George Lucas is talking about is the belief system. It's You see in this Andor episode 10, in this whole arc, with everyone, it's what you believe. It's what you believe to be the truth that can get you out of the situation. It's like we're saying in... In Andor episode 10, the voice of God is just a scared imperial guy. And the the imperial people are hiding behind doors, hoping that these prisoners don't see them. It's like once you start attacking the, the scary empire and chipping away at them, it's not as scary as maybe you thought it was. Yeah, and it, it kind of goes back to the beginning of episode 10 when Kino and Andor are kind of arguing about the plan starting tomorrow. And... Kino still, you know, I think he says something how they have all the power or, or something like that. And, and Kazian basically says that they don't have the power because if they did, they wouldn't be afraid or, you know, power doesn't have to be afraid. And 
that's kind of the whole thing with the with the, the you know the prison of the mind. It's like the the fear that they have more power than they really do keeps the people from taking the action that they need to take to make things to make the change because it's it's their in their mind the the fear is actually more powerful than the thing they're afraid of actually has power. And it's all over THX 138. It's the the sense of control, the sense of power, the sense of conf- conforming that THX and La LUH feel. It's so similar in Andor with the whole atmosphere on Narkina 5. The, the power that seems like this threat is not the threat you think it is because you are letting the, the power exist in your mind. <laughs> you know, it's well, it's it's funny thinking back too that there's even almost kind of the 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 idea of you know in THX with the big chase at the end, the chase ends because the chase gets to be more expensive than it's worth, so they stop. And there's even the part uh, I think in episode eight with Yularen where they're like kind of talking about what Dedra's doing, and there's some concern of like that it's expensive, you know, and it isn't until uh, the the longer haired uh, ISB guy is like, well, you know, this is kind of important actually, because they figured this out and this out. Like it's, you know, even that of where the empire, you know, at a certain point, the empire doesn't want to get involved because they don't want to spend the money. Right. You know, it's like, it's all kind of intermixed in there. And even how does THX escape from this society at the end? He escapes by climbing, by ascending again. And he goes out into this amazing sunrise of like this new day, this new dawn, Again, like we were saying, like Cassian always ascending. I don't know whether it was intentional or not. The comparisons are there. The Narkina Five arc is so going into these George Lucas ideas. Yeah, and I mean, and and some of it maybe is just the idea of you know Andor is more sci-fi than maybe sci-fi fantasy like Star Wars, and that kind of gets back to the George Lucas THX, you know, sensibilities where, you know, like we said, the, the, the themes and kind of underlying story is this is very similar and it's kind of told in a more dystopian, hard sci-fi feel. And maybe, you know, just by nature of that, of kind of filtering George Lucas through that lens is going to lend itself to being, feeling so much more like a THX 1138 than maybe just your normal Star Wars. I mean, even the comparisons are all there, too, with George Lucas's favorite episode of Clone Wars, Sunny Day in the Void. You may think we're crazy, but there, <laughs> there is, there's a thematic connection to, from Sunny Day in the Void to THX 138, and then you can take that same thinking with the Narkina 5 arc, because in Sunny Day in the Void, where are they? They're in a void of nothingness. Was it Colonel Gascon is saying that there's no hope. There's when we're never going to get out of here. Colonel Gascon almost sounds like Cassian Andor at the beginning of this arc. What if I died in that shuttle crash? And now, now I'm stuck here in limbo. Yes. I should have gone with the mechs. Think about it. Life. Life is a void. We search and search for answers, but there are none. Hope is just an illusion, Whack. Death is the only certainty. Giving up is not in my programming. I am surprised that it is in yours, Colonel. The key to getting out 
just like the hologram SRT in THX, it's the flock of birds that they see running in Sunny Day in the Void. And like all throughout when they're in the void, they're talking about like, what is it? The the difference between training and programming and all this stuff. And they're not working together in a team in Sunny Day in the Void. And when they see the flock of birds acting on instinct, kind of going away from this like, well, what is the basis of thought? Is it training or programming? No, it's acting on instinct. That's the way to get out. How do they get out of Narkina 5? Yeah, after two episodes of philosophizing and discussing their situation in the prison and hypotheticals in the end, they kind of just go with their gut and make it happen. And they don't, they don't sweat the details in, in all these stories. It's what you believe, what matters. If you believe that there's no walls, that there's not, if you believe that we can get out of prison, we can go. And with Andor, what turns the key for him I think in the end, it's his compassion for others. It's his compassion for Kino, his compassion for Olaf. When Olaf passes away, we know what he's going to. And it's how does a thief become a hero? What are the steps along the way? Well, and also, you know, we've talked about, I think this before too, of just because you make the choice to believe you can change things doesn't immediately make it happen or make it easy. And we see in this episode, not everybody gets out, but you have to make that first step in order to make any change. And that's starts in your mind of yet yeah, changing your point of view to being, yes, this can happen. I can make this happen because if you don't get through that step, nothing will happen. And it's, it's literally, it's like a Indiana Jones and the last crusade thing at the end. It's this leap of faith out into the water. And I love that overhead shot of all just the white prison uniforms, just going through the water, just getting away from this prison and everyone just jumping for their lives and them all chanting one way out, one way out as they get out. And, and it, you know, maybe it's just us. It probably is always thinking about THX 138. I mean, I think I say everything is like THX 138 to be honest, but <laughs> I couldn't help thinking, too, of like how in THX 1 and 3, 8, there was only one way out of this whole society that they thought was normal. And it wasn't normal. That outside of THX's world was this whole outside with a sun and nature and like grass and stuff. We don't know where THX went next. It's the exciting thing that like it's the same with Cassian, where he's now going into this whole new world, this whole new life. And it it all started with a first step of escaping from the prison of his mind. How did you get here? I mean, I was lost. You're not lost now? Mm-mm. Another way out? Mm-hmm. That's the way out. Well, that's the way we just came in. Yeah, but maybe you were traveling around in circles because that's the way out. How do you know? Well, look. Look more closely, you see? Come on. Oh, yeah. Who are you? What is this? You said I know you. I know all about you. Yes, I want the box, and I'll leave with that if it's all I can get. I came looking for something more, and I think I found it. 
I'd like you to go with me. How do you know about me? I was hoping for a more relaxed conversation, but you're right, we don't have time. Contrary to what you told me, I doubt that you'll be sticking around. I know you killed two corpus at Molana One, and I know they're coming for you. Seems like such a waste to let them have you. Waste of talent. Who are you? That's the wrong question. The right question is, how much time do you have to get out of here? Why would I go anywhere with you? Don't you want to fight these bastards for real? I want, I want, I want. It's the Star Wars Imperial Troop transporter that you put together. Batteries not included. Stormtrooper sold separately. What's that? It's my troop transporter. It makes five more sounds, too. R2-D2, where are you? There's the laser cannon, stun gun, and stormtrooper. Did he say that? Oh, Dad. Star Wars Imperial Troop transporter. Stormtrooper sold separately. New from Kenner. This is Vanessa Marshall. I play Harrison Dulan, Star Wars Rebels, and you're listening to Blast Points with Jason and Gabe. May the Force be with you always. And these... Last points, too accurate for sand people. Only Imperial stormtroopers are so precise. podcast reviews when you get done listening to this if you listen on something apple go over there write us a five-star review write something nice about blast points we love it so much we got like two last week two or three last week and they were just outstanding so join in on the fun write an awesome apple podcast review and it will help more people find blast points and if you listen on spotify leave a five-star review over there too And make sure you check out our website, BlastPointsPodcast.com, and you're following us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. And if you're on Facebook, make sure you're in our super chill group. And if you want to support the show in a different way, we got the Blast Points Army on Patreon, where we've got all of our other Andor recap episodes. We're going to have, next week, our recap for Andor 11, and so much other stuff crazy stuff on there and if you are a member of the blast points army on patreon we thank you for your support so 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 much but that about wraps up number 335 here and or 10 thx don't forget either now or later today depending on when you listen to this there is the wonderful roundtable discussions we did 
David Acord from Skywalker Sound, TJ Falls from ILM, Bo Williamson from writer of these arcs, executive producer San Wollenberg. Just tons of Andor stuff going on today. But it's an Andor day. If this is if you're listening to this on Wednesday, it's an Andor. It's a plethora of Andor. And I think we may have said last week that this week was the return of Attack of the Clones year. And if we did, we lied. But we can guarantee you that next week is the return of Attack of the Clones year. And it is a good one. It's, it's glorious. It's insane, people. Yeah, we. it's really, it's really going to happen next week. We promise. It's about as blast points as blast points can get to be blast points. So it's a very Blast Points Attack of the Clones year episode. So until then, everyone, thank you all so much for listening, and we will talk to you very soon. Bye-bye. May the Force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the Force be with you. This is about exploring and asking questions, not just settling for the way things are. So everybody here is asking questions, but nobody actually has the guts to leave this place. They just discuss about what it might be, where you might go, how you can get out. You know, there's a lot of talking about things, but no action, which is, again, a double play on philosophy is, you know, the intellectual journey is important, but in the end, you have to sort of act. And so they're all having the intellectual journey, and he's... Deciding he's going to be the physic- he's the one actually just takes off and does it. He's not going to sit and talk about it. Fortunately, the studio never saw dailies on this, because I think if they'd ever seen this scene, they would have fired me on the spot. May the force be with all of you! You can go go and have a bite. No, you'll still be hearing that one. Yeah. Can you hold us a sec? Sure. This one.